It's good to see us all this evening, and we have a big subject and topic. We are going to do two weeks this week and next week, and it's under the title, The Kingdoms of This World and the Kingdom of Christ. The Kingdoms of This World and the Kingdom of Christ. For an opening reading, let's turn to the book of Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 11. I'm going to ask you just for the start of this, until I instruct you further, to please keep it open at this chapter because we're going to really delve into other scriptures this evening in the Lord's will. Revelation chapter 11, please. Worship was just outstanding, wonderful. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded... And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto the ser- thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was open in heaven, and there was seen in the temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunders and an earthquake and great hail. Keep your Bible open there, we'll refer to it. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you and praise you and worship you and exalt you, because even this evening, Lord, you've proven your faithfulness to us in this house again, through the power of your Spirit. You've drawn near to us, and you've let us know that you're with us. You've spoken to us, and you've helped us. You've strengthened us. And again, O Lord, we ask you that you take your own precious word, and that you'd wing it to every heart this evening, that you'd take this man of frail dust, Lord, and anoint him with fresh oil, that he may be able to to speak the oracles of God. And Lord, that your word would go forth, Lord, as a bright and shining light, and that your word this evening would be quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, greater words than any man could ever speak. And we pray in Jesus' name, Father, that if there's one here who has come in this evening who has not yet been saved, born again of your Spirit, and washed in the blood, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that this evening you would speak to their hearts, Lord, and help them to see the urgency and the need of the time that we live in, but help them to see the truth of the Word of the Lord. And the Word of the Lord that says you must be born again is the truth to God to their hearts tonight. So, Father, we ask you in Jesus' name that you'd quicken our hearts and enable your children Enable those who are saved and washed in the blood to be able to take the word and understand it and to receive it and to carry it and do something with it, O God. For we believe, Lord, the time is at hand. We believe the kingdom of God is at hand. So, Father, answer our prayers. Remember the sick who can't be with us. You know all those we bring before you. Remember those who are away for a break. Bless them and encourage them. And those who are weak and just can't come for one reason or another, We ask the Lord to move upon them. Father, thank you for this great crowd you've brought out this Sunday evening when many could be in their home and at their fireplace. Yet, Lord, you've placed it within their hearts to be in the house of the Lord. So we give you glory and praise and honor for you. And you alone, Lord Jesus, are worthy. And in your name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Let me just set this here. In verse 15, Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 says, And the seventh angel sounded, 
And there were voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Now notice that. He shall reign. Christ, the Lord Jesus, shall reign forever and ever. This is still pointing us to a future time. When Christ will return again, we'll show you in Daniel that there's a stone kingdom, a stone that's not cut out with hands, and it talks of the created kingdom of God, not like bricks of a man's building, but rather of divine origin. Speaking of the coming kingdom of Christ, which smashes all of man's wiles and all his very thoughts and abilities and his desires and dreams of one world government and new world orders. And there will be a one world government and there will be a new world order when Jesus returns. His government, his new world order will rule and reign at the coming of the glorious Son of the living God. We're going to look this evening at how this is still in the future. We want to speak, instead of telling you of the kingdoms, then finishing at a climax at the coming of Christ, rather we want to show you uh, the opposite way round. We want to show you the glory of the kingdom of Christ, and the rulership and authority of Christ, and then we'll show you some of the kingdoms. Here the seventh angel sounded. We've looked in previous weeks and other studies at the number seven, speaking of God's perfection and completeness. So at this seventh angel sounded, there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You must be careful to understand here the difference between the earth and the word world. We tend to think it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. People say the earth will be destroyed. The earth will never be destroyed. The Lord says that the earth will endure forever. It abideth forever. It's the world system that will be destroyed. The world will come under climactic events. The world will have terrible things done to it. The earth will be uh, upheaval, will be in the earth, and there will be earthquakes in divers places, and there will be all matter of volcanoes and stuff will increase. Yes, we believe that. And it's already happening. But the earth itself, God created the earth for it to be inhabited because he placed Adam kind on it. And God says that when he returns, his son is coming to the earth. Christ will set his feet again on the Mount of Olives. And in fact, people say, wouldn't it be great to be in Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives at the coming of Christ? You might think that. But nevertheless, you might not think it when you read on, for the Bible tells us there will be a great earthquake that will split the mountain and go right down across the whole land, and the sea will flow right across it. So there's going to be a judgment in the land there also. We must make sure that we understand all of these things. The word world means the thoughts, the will, the ideologies, and the system of all this world, the religious system, the very economical system that we're under. It's all from Babylon. It's all satanic, and it's not off God. Do you know God told Israel that we were never to have anything such as usury, debt usury, in other words, extortion. We were never to have high interest. Did you know that when you're paying interest in everything, we're breaking God's commandments? Realize our government is doing that, and the governments of the world. I have to admit, as much as I disagree with the Islamic uh, faith, uh, they haven't got interest when they land out. They're doing better than we are in many ways. But notice this. The seventh angel sounded, there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Pointing forward in Philippians, the book of Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul shows us a glimpse of our Lord and his sovereignty and his rule and reign. Notice what it says in Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, notice this, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know when you see Christ who you're going to see? You're going to see God with a face. You're going to see the invisible God, the one true living God, clothed in flesh and glorified in his body. You're going to see one man in the glory of the Father, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes and breaks the clouds, you'll see him centralized in all that heaven has to offer. And when invasion from outer space comes, that is from heaven out there to our world in here, you're going to see Christ in his deity and all his beauty, his wonder, his splendor, his majesty. And you will see him come. And you and I who are redeemed with precious blood, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Notice we will be changed in a moment, not caught up in a moment, changed in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye. And we will return that he sets up his glorious kingdom upon this earth. And we will rule and reign with him for 1,000 years. Christ will rule with a rod of iron. I was speaking to someone just today about this. They said, are you telling me there'll be unsaved in this kingdom? I'm saying to you, absolutely yes. Because at that time, it's a shop window display for the kingdom that is to come for all those who are in Christ. There's going to be a kingdom of men and women on this earth. And you and I who are saved, we are going to be glorified in our bodies. And we will never see death. We will never die because Christ will rule and reign in us and through us. Notice this. The Lord, Paul's word, Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Notice this. Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. Verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Many will be going to see Christ to bow the knee to him. If Queen Elizabeth and I pray God spares her and Christ returns, who holds the throne and wait for him, she will take her crown off and hand it to King Jesus. And he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. Notice this, he will rule over the earth and he will rule over the universe from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven. The place where the glory of God will be will be upon this earth for where Jesus is, there's heaven there. Here we have every niche by of things in heaven, things in the earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father will be glorified through his Son and in his Son because of his Son. But notice this. Christ will fulfill Scripture of Old Testament prophets. Isaiah chapter 45 in the Old Testament, verses 22 and 23. Yahweh, that is Almighty God. Yahweh, we can call him Father. Yahweh declares this. Unto me, look unto me and be ye saved. Now notice that. Yahweh said that. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and of Moses and of Joseph, the God of Israel, the God of the prophets, the God of the apostles, the God of the very, uh, the, the very Israelitish people themselves. The God of creation, Yahweh, his redemptive name, or Jehovah, some people call him. He says, look unto me. You can't look anywhere else but to God for salvation. You can't look to your church. You can't look to religion. You can't look to this church or to this pastor. You must look to Christ. How do we know he's Christ? Because he says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Notice this. For I am God, and there is none else. There's no other God. He says, there's no other way. There's no other salvation but in me. So when Christ returns in the glory of his Father, we are going to look at the glory of God. He says, look unto me. And how can we see the invisible God, the great eternal Spirit, 
only by him becoming flesh, enveloping himself and clothing himself in a little baby at Bethlehem and keeping the law we couldn't keep and living a life we couldn't live, spotless, holy, harmless, undefiled and separated from sinners, he went to the cross with your sin and mine on him, burying our sin and shame. He was nailed to the tree for you and me. Here we see him taken down and laid on a tomb. Here we see him risen from the dead and ascended into glory. Now here we see him coming again with the splendor of heaven at his will, his whim, and his command. And he will come and his feet on that day will stand upon the Mount of Olives and the power of the highest will split the mountain. We're told that there's a fault line from the Mount of Olives goes right down now. Geologists have found it to the Horn of Africa. There's going to be an earthquake like there was no other earthquake ever before. Christ will rule and Christ will reign. Here's something I want to ask you. To you who are unsaved, well, I'm all right and I'll try and be a good person or I'm all right and I'll try and do my best or I'll pay into my church or I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll try and be there as much as I can. And maybe God will see that and will let me in or I'll be religious or I'll do ceremonial stuff and I'll do whatever it takes. Friends, there's nothing you can do to add to your salvation. There's nothing but receiving Christ and Christ alone. Here we have, here we have the Christ of God The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Or the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our curios, our supreme high God. The only God, even Christ. Even Christ. Here we see him ruling and reigning, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing in heaven and earth. And under the earth, the Lord says, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Notice now what he says in Isaiah 45 and 23. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness. It shall not return. That unto me, notice, Yahweh said this, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Yahweh said that. So when every knee comes and bows to Christ and is coming, whether you believe in him or whether you don't, whether you love him or whether you hate him, every knee will bow to him and swear that you are almighty God. Because he says, Yahweh says, every knee will bow to me. And every tongue will swear to me. Oh, if it took so much if it took so much for God to save my soul, to pay my debt and ransom me and redeem me from a lost and dying world in my sin and shame on you, how do you expect to reach the kingdom? How do you expect to be saved? Jesus paid it all. It took Almighty God to interfere, to intervene, and to get involved. Here in Revelation chapter 11, in verse 15, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Look at what verse 16 says. And the four and twenty elders which sat upon, sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped. Now notice, of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, were taken into heaven. The four and twenty elders fell upon their faces and worshipped God. Notice, every knee shall bow. They came right down before him. And they worshipped, they swore their allegiance. They declared him. Of things in heaven, of things on earth and things under the earth. What am I saying under the earth? Even the old satanic spirits. And the old devil, Lucifer, Satan himself, he will see the Christ of God and he's bound for a thousand years at his coming and he will bow the knee before King Jesus and he will say, Thou and thou alone art God and I could never attain thy throne. He was created by God 
and he was defeated by God. Here we have confessing and swearing that is speaking of his glory. I don't mean profanity. Revelation 11 and 15 tells us that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. The Greek grammar here it says, have become the kingdoms of our Lord. It indicates an absolute certainty about Jesus and his coming and his reign. In other words, in the mind of God, it's already done. We're waiting on it, but God says it's already happened. It's as good as done. Romans 4 and verse 17, Paul tells us of God, it says, calleth those things which be not as though they were. God calls those things that don't even exist yet. He just speaks them, and they happen. The creative word of God. The rima into something. And God calls those things that be not as though they were. See, the Lord had told Father Abraham, listen to what he says. He says, I have made thee a father of many nations. He didn't say, I will make thee. I'm going to. He says, I've already done it. But Abraham had one child. Abraham was nearly 100 years old. And things ain't what they used to be. Sarah was barren. She was past that age of childbearing. And God says, I have made thee a father of many nations. And Abraham laughs. And Sarah laughs later. Uh, the two laughters are two different laughters, by the way. One has said that Abraham laughs at, at the, and rejoicing that he's going to have a progenity. He's going to have a child. He's laughing with joy. Sarah's laughing behind the tent wall going, yeah, right. She's, yeah, okay. I'm the one that has to bear this. Two different laughters go up. But the Lord in his mind says, it's already done. I've already said it. I've already proclaimed it. You will be a father of many nations, or if you want to take it into the Greek word, ethnos, peoples. I'm sure we're sitting here tonight. He's done it all. The lamb was slain in the mind of God. You and I were given to the Lord Jesus Christ in the mind of God from before the foundation of the world. Yes, even before we were born. It was as good as done. God had already spoken the word. Yet here again, God speaks of those things which be not as though they were. He speaks of knees bowing, tongues confessing, Christ ruling and reigning. So Christ is coming, for God has declared it. Christ will reign, God has determined it. Christ is victorious, God has delivered it. And Christ is Lord, God has devised it. And that's the way God's sovereignty works. What he says comes to pass. It does not return unto him void. And so the kingdoms of this world have become in God's mind. It's already happened. Do you know how you can take hope in this? Because if you're a believer, if you're washed in the blood by faith in Christ, if you say his sacrifice is enough to make for me to cleanse me of all my sins, then you know what you can say tonight? As far as God is concerned, I'm already in the kingdom. I'm already there. For he's done it. He's done it. It all hinges, it all rests upon the beautiful Son of God and what He has done for us in Calvary's tree. Everything goes to Him and goes to that place. The whole lot of it hinges on Him. And though if He had not have died, you and I would be still lost and in our sins. Revelation 11 and verse 18 says, The nations were angry and thy wrath has come. Listen, the nations have been angry at God from the very day that Cain had killed Abel. The growth of mankind has been angry at God. The world wants anything but God. The world wants anything. This system of things wants anything but God. Anything but the reign and righteousness of Christ that wants anything but it. And the world thinks even sometimes religion may be decent. We'll go to church sometimes, but don't ask me for surrender. 
Don't ask me for surrender. Surrendering my heart to you, it's just too much. The wrath of man is impotent, but the wrath of God is omnipotent. The wrath of men is wicked, but the wrath of God is holy. For God will be justified in all his doings and in all his ways. Puritan William Gurnall, listen to this, brothers and sisters. Puritan William Gurnall said, Christ hath told us he will come. But not when. That we might never put off our clothes or put put out our candle. That we might never put off our clothes or put out our candle. I couldn't help thinking when I read that and I was putting this message together of the Song of Solomon chapter 5 and verse 2. Listen to what the, listen to what the, the, the Shulamite, I spoke about her this morning. I can't go into her. The Shulamite who represents uh, ancient Israel and even you and I to this day from Jehovah right through to our Lord Jesus Christ and this beautiful bride and bridegroom and this romance and song that goes on. Now listen to this. She says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. Notice that. Here is a a, a voice that starts speaking to the heart. A voice that starts speaking to the inner woman, to the inner man. A voice that starts speaking and says, Will you open to me? My love, my dove, my undefiled. Will you open to me? Notice the return of what is said in verse 3. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? In other words, no, she's done. She's got herself ready for bed and she's went, she's laid in a slumber. She's went, she's laid in a slumber and a sleep. And she's saying, I can hear your voice, but please don't disturb me, Jesus. Please don't disturb me, Lord, because I'm already in my bed, and if I get out, I'll have to walk and start getting dressed. I'll have to do something. In other words, I will have responsibility of my own human nature, and what I do to follow you, my coat is off me. My shoes are off me. I'm lying in my bed. I'm comfortable where I am. So please, just let me waft my way to heaven. Oh, boy. Such a people are many in church today. Let me just sit at ease in Zion. And as for our nation, we're just filthy through and through. Notice this. Verse 4 says, My beloved put his hand by the hole of the door. My barrels were moved for him. This reminds me when the Lord Jesus says in Revelation 3 and 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. This reminds me of, of the bridegroom coming to the bride and he's rapping the door and saying, I want in church. Great Britain. United States, wherever I want in. And our hearts are telling us, let him in. But if I let him in, I'll have to get up and put my shoes on. The preparation of the gospel of peace, I'll have to follow him. I'll have to walk with him. If I get up and put on my coat again, I'm going to have to go out there and I'm going to have to actually get out of my slumber. I'm actually going to have to wake it up. Please don't ask me to do this, Lord. Notice this, verse 6. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called, but he gave me no answer. In other words, by the time she realized, I better get up and move. It was too late. He was gone. Jesus, I've made a mistake. I want to serve you. Jesus, I know when that day comes, I'll stand before you. 
Jesus, look, I know that you've saved me and I know you've cleansed me and I know you've forgiven me and I know I've backslidden in heart, but you were speaking to me and I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm looking for you, but it's too late. It's too late. He's gone. So the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. But notice this, Revelation eleven eighteen. The nations were angry and thy wrath has come, the time of the dead, that they should be judged. The time of the dead, that they should be judged. And when is the judgment, the great white throne judgment of the dead? At the end of that millennial reign when Christ will rule with a rod of iron. That's the judgment for the unsaved. They'll stand there and the beast, the dragon, the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire. So here we look now at the end of a millennial rule. And as we look at this, we can see that something has happened around this time of this millennial reign. Notice that they should be judged and that thou shouldest reward thy servants of prophets unto the saints and them that fear thy name small and great. Lord, You've wrapped the door and I put on my shoes and I got on my coat and I've followed you and I've served you. I haven't lost my reward. Like the, the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. And the five foolish, their lamps go out and they've no oil in their vessels and their lamps and they go to buy some and the bridegroom comes and when he comes, the five that were wise had oil in their lamps and their vessels. They went in. Now, brothers and sisters, I, I, I personally believe that, that those other five foolish, I believe they were saved because they were virgins. But here's what I do believe. I believe that they lost their reward and fellowship with Christ. And they come knocking on the door. Lord, open to us. Open unto us. It says, depart from me, for I never knew you. But these are in here going to receive their reward. They're going to see, receive the authority of the kingdom to rule and reign. I better move on because that's my introduction. The kingdoms of this world, this system of things, have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Turn with me to the book of Daniel, please. The book of Daniel, chapter 2. And let your eye just run down to verse 31. Let me tell you what's happening Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has carried away Judah. That's the southern kingdom. By the way, when we read at this point, the kingdom of the northern house of Israel are already gone. Almost 150 years. They've went north and up into the Caucasus Mountains and started spreading west. By this time, from this on in, has nothing to do with the house of Israel, but rather this part has to do with the house of Judah in Babylon. Okay? And that's again where we get, Judah is where we get the name Jew from. This is where the Jews, if you want, are in Babylon. Now notice this. Verse 31. The king has asked for a dream to be told and interpreted, and only Daniel can do it. Daniel says, Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image, his, this great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass. His belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part clay. Thou sawest until, notice this, a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Then was the iron and the clay and the brass, and the silver, and the gold, broken to pieces together. Now note that, together. In other words, there's a trait runs down through this. Broken to pieces together. And became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof, O king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, and the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. 
And whithersoever the children of men may dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Now notice this. Thou art this head of gold. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. In your dream, Nebuchadnezzar, you've seen, you can see the picture here of a man with a golden head, silver arms, and, and then it goes into brass and then into iron, and then further down it goes iron and clay into the feet. And he's wondering what this is, and Daniel says to him, you're the head of gold, a great kingdom. Notice, this kingdom shows how men see themselves. Glorious, and they like to be seen, and they like to have their pomp and their ceremony. And Daniel says, this is how you see it. Thou art this head of gold. Let me just run through these for you for a minute. The silver, we'll find in a a little moment, the silver are the Medes and the Persian Empire that takes over after the head of gold, which is the Babylonian Empire. That's what it represents. Notice two arms. This is very important. Two arms for the silver. Next comes brass, which will be uh, Alexander the Great and the great Grecian Empire that stretched right out to India from Greece. And then you'll notice Iron Legs speaks of the Roman Empire. It's at this time when our Lord Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And then it goes right down into iron and clay. And iron doesn't mix with clay, as you know. And we'll see that that brings us right down to a grouping of people that lived around that time who attacked Rome and turned on it. There was no... Uh, uh, there's nothing in common one with another, and there was a dissolving of Rome, and up from Rome came a little horn. We'll see that later. And that little horn is the papal horn of the papacy from pagan Rome. One head is, uh, uh, has been slain and killed, uh, wounded. A deadly wound was given, and another head rises up. That's the papal head, or the pagan head, and rises up the papal head. We're going to have to show you that more next week. But we're not finished here tonight. Okay. So we're at the head of gold. And this head of gold is the the, the image that is seen uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel says, thou art the head of gold. When we get to the silver, the Medes and the Persians, remember the two arms. You'll find when you're reading in your Bible, the book of Daniel, you'll find Daniel 2, we have this dream, thou art the head of gold. You'll find on into Daniel 3, that Nebuchadnezzar goes to his head and he makes an image of gold for all to fall down and worship it. In Daniel 4, God takes a dealing with Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar has a seven times punishment over him and he ends up for seven years, he ends up eating grass like a cow or a, or a kine and having his hair grow in mat-like feathers, his, claw, his nails grow like claws. He becomes mad and demented. And then, of course, the Lord calls it a tree but leaves a stump. I've done studies now before, and I called it the return of Stumpy because the stump started to grow again because God says, leave the stump. I'm going to use him again. Stumpy's return. Nebuchadnezzar grows again. And when Nebuchadnezzar, when he comes back into power again, we have kings or his family lying down. If I can remember the names, it's Nebuchadnezzar. And then we have Belshazzar. And Belshazzar's having a feast in, the, in, the, in his palace in Babylon. And he's taken by this time all the, the treasures of the temple and the vessels that were used. And he's, he's used them just in this wild orgy party. And lo and behold, there comes a man's hand like a, a finger writing against the plaster of the wall. And you'll find it in Daniel chapter 5. And he starts writing on it, Mini, mini, tikel, yafarsan. And the interpretation, by the way, that's, a, that's actually a symbol of tongues and interpretation in the Old Testament. No one knows the interpretation of it. And do you know as well that every single letter has a, moment, has a, a number, a numerical value? I'll teach you about that at some other time. And it has a prophetic numerical value. Well, this says, meaning, meaning, to kill you for us. In other words, your kingdom has been numbered and been wed in the balances and found wanting. In other words, God has found you wanting for what you've done. And the same night, Darius the Mede comes into Babylon. They had encamped around about it, and everyone I'd say were starting to starve. The armies of the Medes and the Persians couldn't conquer the big walls. And Darius decides, I know, let's divert 
the river, Euphrates. And as we divert the river, the river that ran through for their water in the city, when we divert it, we'll walk right up the riverbed. And they walked under the city wall. And they were so busy partying, they didn't know that judgment was around the corner. Friend, did you hear that? They were so busy partying, they didn't know that judgment was going to be that night. It's like the man who built his barns bigger because he had so much of a crop. I will say to my soul, soul, take thine easy, drink and be merry. That's what's good laid up for many years. And the Lord says, Thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Darius came in. And the Medes and the Persians took over. Now, why was there two arms? Medes and Persians, there was a coalition army of the Median army and the Persian army, which would be around the region of Iraq and Iran today. Okay, so... When we look at that, we go into Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, we find Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel comes out of favor, for he won't bow down to the king. And he wants to pray three times a day. He wants to open his windows towards Jerusalem from Babylon and pray, knowing God will hear his prayers. And so then we come into Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel has a dream. And Daniel has a dream of four beasts. Four beasts. The beasts make up this. First of all, he says, Daniel 7 and verse 3. Sorry, Daniel chapter 7, if you'll turn with me, please. Verse 3. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, diverse or different one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. Here's an artist's impression of it. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon its feet as a man. And a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, was raised up on its one side. And it had three ribs in its mouth. Of of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which, ha- which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given unto it. Notice this, like a leopard as well, with four heads. Very important. Four wings, very important. Okay, we're going to look at it, and we'll maybe just have to take it into next week to finish it. Notice this. After this I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong, exceeding, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had, notice, ten horns. It had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. God willing, we'll look at it next week. Let me take you for a moment, but to the base here. The first one, the one of the lion. This lion speaks off the head of gold. They're exactly the same. Man sees himself as glorious in his own dreams, But now Daniel gets a dream of how God sees these kingdoms of this world. And it's like a beast. It's like a lion with wings. This is the same as the head of gold. These are the same kingdoms that represent Babylon. So if you can remember, man sees himself as the head of gold. When you look at the other side, God looks at him as a ravenous beast. A man who has slain and done wickedness in his sight. The second one, then, we're looking at is the bear. And the bear has three ribs in his mouth. Three ribs in his mouth. We'll look at this in a little moment. But the bear represents what? The bear represents the Medo-Persian. Okay. So now we need to look at what do these things mean? 
What is this lopsided bear? The bear, it's not too great in this picture, but it's lopsided, okay? Let me give you an impression. It's meant to be like that. That one's on all fours. It's actually meant to be like this. With three ribs in its mouth. Notice it's lopsided. Why is it lopsided? Well, it's lopsided because it speaks of a coalition government. We've won in Great Britain tonight. It's lopsided too. It's flopsided, if anything else. But anyhow, and it's up like this. Speaking of one power more greater in the coalition than the other. The two arms are like the two lopsides. Okay? We're going to look further into this in a little minute. You notice that then there are three ribs in its mouth. Three ribs are when you had Darius and Cyrus. That was the coalition rulers of the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus then starts to come to prominence because he goes out in military expeditions and he takes over a lot of Egypt. That's rib number one. Now imagine Daniel saying all this before it happens. God is giving him this. Then he takes over Lydia. And then he takes over Babylon itself. Three ribs. And a lopsided government. So here Daniel sees this kingdom that is coming. This is Cyrus as well is the king who was in place when they released uh, Ezra and Nehemiah to go back and build the temple in Jerusalem. He's the same one who released then Nehemiah to go and build the walls. God called him a ravenous bird. Then he calls him a servant. You know why? Because the devil is God's ape. That's all he is. God is sovereign over all the wiles of the devil. And the devil's God's ape. And God says, one minute, I'll use you for one thing, and then I'm going to tell you what to do next. So whenever the devil's, you think the devil's getting the better of you, no, he's not. He's God's ape. Notice this. We have these three ribs, and that was Cyrus. The next beast is a leopard with four wings. Leopard with four wings. Now, these four wings speak of four provinces that would come to pass in the next kingdom. And the next kingdom was the head of gold, the arms of silver, and then the brass here. Remember the man with the brass? This one represents the brass, which was the Grecian kingdom. They're the same. High man sees them, brass. High God sees them, a beast. Alexander the Great, he's only about 20 years of age. He was a young, uh, well-trained soldier. And he carried the kingdom of Greece, the Hellenic kingdom, right across to, to India in about five or maybe eight years, all in total naming 16 cities after himself, Alexandria, and all those cities that you see about. And he was building these. Great, fantastic young man. He was under Aristotle's teaching from the age of 13 to 16. He was intelligent. He was strong. He was mighty. So he was like a leopard, and he was swift. The four wings are something different on the four heads. What happened? When Alexander the Great died, and a kingdom, this great kingdom was left, you'll find that there were four generals that came to divide the kingdom between themselves. And the four generals were Lysimachus, Cassander, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. Now, you don't need to remember them. You can get a CD or a DVD. And these four generals took a province of this empire each. And that was the four wings of a file. The four heads on the leopard represents the four generals. That's what this means. So out of this kingdom comes four generals and takes four provinces. Isn't God's word amazing that it shows us in detail everything? See, God says it, and before it happens, it's already done. It's already happened. So then we look at the beast, which was dreadful and terrible and exceeding strong. The fourth beast. Now notice, one looks like a lion, one looks like a bear, one looks like a leopard. The next one is indescribable. Daniel's lost for words at this. You know why? It was fierce and it had ten horns. Remember the man with the iron legs and then the clay and the iron feet. How many toes? Well, usually how many toes are we meant to have? 
Ten. I think you thought that was a trick question there. <laughs> really, there were people in the Bible with six toes in each feet. <laughs> there actually were. But we have ten toes. So this image from the head, the silver, the brass, the iron, right down the iron and clay, ten toes. Now there's ten horns. Here's the image. Look, the, bra- the gold to the lion. Do you see that? The silver to the bear. The gold to the leopard. And the iron and the iron and clay to this beast. And you can't work it out. It's not a leopard. It's not a bear. It's not a lion. What is it? Daniel's saying, I don't understand this beast. And I'll tell you why. Because the beast morphs and changes. The beast morphs and changes. It's the Roman Empire, the like of the Caesars. And the Caesars then take on another form of becoming, calling themselves Soter and Papa and God of this earth. Start to really take these things on. And then what happens? Whenever the Caesar time is over, then you find that the papal time comes. And there are ten regions around them. I'll tell you this again next week. And in these ten regions, you'll find it says, out of that comes a little horn. And out of these ten regions is where Europe is today. It's where the European Union basically is today. But out of it comes a little horn. And it has eyes that can see and it speaks great things. This is the Antichrist. This is the Pope of Rome himself. And he's speaking great things. And even today, he's starting to gather. He's starting to gather in. He's starting to gather in. All into an ecumenical service and a time of worship. Listen, brothers and sisters, see next week, I'm going to rhyme you off a list of names who believed in a papal antichrist. And you know what's happened? We have moved so far from it, we're afraid because it's not politically correct. We're afraid because churches don't say those things anymore. Well, you know what? My people, the Lord says, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Here we see iron and teeth that devour and break in pieces, the residue of its feet trampling in these ten horns. We'll look at it next week. Let me round this bit up for you, and we'll do another part next week. If we go then to uh, Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 8, and verse 3. He says, I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other. Notice the language, higher than the other, and the higher came up last. And I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, southward, so that no beast might stand before him, neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, behold, an he-goat came from the west. Notice this. On the face of the whole earth, touched not the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran into him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come closer unto the ram, and he was moved with choler against him and smote the ram and break, in, break his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him. And there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore, he, therefore the he-goat waxed very great. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Notice this picture here. This ram again with two horns, one higher than the other. Remember the bear with the lopsided? Remember the man with the two arms? Here we have a ram, one horn higher than the other. It's the same. That's the Medo-Persian kingdom right through. And these two coalition, this coalition government, one horn higher than the other. Then suddenly this great he-goat, a strong he-goat with a notable horn, one great big notable horn coming out of his head, doesn't touch the ground. Speaks of Alexander the Great. And the speedy conquered the lands with going across toward India from the west over to the east. 
And we're told he smashed into this. He smashed into the kingdom with the two horns of the ram or the Medo-Persians. So Alexander the Great's kingdom taken over. But when that horn broke, four notable horns came up. Does it sound familiar? Here we have four heads of a leopard. Remember the four wings of the leopard? It's the same here. The four notable horns are the four generals that would come out. So Daniel's vision starts going from the the little horn of the west, as it's known, we've already mentioned that, to the little horn of the east. And this is where we need to round this up in, the little horn of the east. The little horn of the east. These four kingdoms that broke up. uh, Could you put up picture 10 for me, please? Here are the four kingdoms. Look, Lysimachus, Cassander, Look at Seleucus, all in the yellow. Ptolemy there in the green, round Egypt. Well, after a while, Seleucus became known as the king of the north, north of the land of Israel. Ptolemy became known as the king of the south, south of the land of Israel. In fact, he had conquered up into it. Seleucus' kingdom pressed down and pushed out Ptolemy, and they took over Jerusalem. And then from there, something happened. There was a man came, Antiochus Epiphanes. And he was a Seleucid. And when he came, he came to the Jewish temple. And he went right in and he took a pot of pig soup. (laughs) Bacon soup. And he poured it over the altar. And this was horrific. This was, you don't do these things. This, the pig is an abomination unto the Lord. Still is, by the way. Just throw it out there. God's word never changes. Now notice this. He pours pig soup on it and he sacrifices a pig's head upon the altar. And the Jews are outraged and war breaks out there. And he takes over. He stops the Jewish men being circumcised on the eighth day. He stops them having all their religious ceremonies and sacrifices. And in the time of this man coming, Antiochus Epiphanes, you'll find that it's the period in our Bible between the book of Malachi and there's nothing to the book of Matthew, that 400 years. And that's when that happened. And in that 400 years, you'll find that during that time, there was a man called Maccabeus. uh, I can't remember his first name. He came uh, and he, he came and he became a fighter in the army. And he started really doing uh, attacks on, on, the, on Antiochus Epiphanes and the Seleucid army. And there was a, a war going on. And then came, you'll read of 1st Maccabees and 2nd Maccabees, the book of Jude, Jude, Judith. You'll, you'll read the book of Asher, all in there known as the Apocrypha, which isn't in our Bible. Book of Ezra's 1 and Ezra's 2. And all that was taking place. It's great for historical purposes. We don't believe it's inspired. But notice this. There was a man called John Hyrcanus came and he took a lot of these people who are not Israelites and he made them force conversion, thousands of them, to be Jews. Here we see an admixture into the Jewish blood. And Jesus says there are those who say there are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And people wonder, who are they? The Bible tells you. So here we have Antiochus Epiphanes. And then after Antiochus Epiphanes, we have the Roman Empire. We'll start there next week. We'll start there next week. I'm hoping this is being helpful to you because we're going to bring you out. But see the Seleucid Empire as we close. The Seleucid Empire, there's a little prophecy on it. And the little prophecy was that at the year 2300, that there would be something happening in that year. But we have to work it out, and I haven't time to go into it now. But it brings us right to the year, our year now, 1917. It was the year of the last sacrifice there. And brings us the year 1919, rather. And that shows something around this area. Stay with me for two more minutes, and give me your attention, because this is going to be very important for what you're seeing on your news tonight. 2,300 years later, that is, this area called the Seleucid Empire, 
During that time, 622 came Islam and conquered the whole area. And many of these solutions are now just simply Islamic. Okay. Now, when you notice this here, you'll find that the Lord Jesus said in a little verse, Luke 21, verse 29 and 30. He says, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. Now, notice this. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. Verse 30. When they now shoot forth, you see and know that of your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. Verse 31. So likewise, ye, when you see these things come to pass, you know that the kingdom of God is at hand. Or the kingdom of our, this word will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, in other words. The fig tree is a symbol of Jewry, J-E-W-R-Y, or the Jews. And Jesus says, now the Jews have been overtaken by the Romans at this time. Remember the iron legs? And that beast with the ten horns? And the great teeth? The ferocious people? They're in control. And Jesus said, the fig tree will be back here again. And when you see the Jews back here again, he says, you know there's going to be other trees that will rise at the same time. Now we know, and look at General Allenby in 1917, liberating Jerusalem. 1948 was the birth of the state of Israel. Now notice this. In 1919, the year the 2,300 years end in the book of Daniel chapter 8. Notice how so many little trees started to spring up around this time. Let me just rhyme some of them off. 1906, Iran. It was Persia, but what's known as Iran came into being. 1921, Afghanistan. 1922, Egypt from a a king to a caliphate. Uh, 1922, Iraq. 1924, Turkey. 1930, Lebanon. 1938, Syria. 1946, Jordan. 1947, Turkey as we know it today. 1948, of course, the Israeli state. But you notice this. There's the tree, the fig tree, and all the trees around it. And where do they all take up? Look at the map. The Seleucid Empire right into the Potomac Empire. And they're all Islamic. Now, just this day, Dave Anderson sent me a little clip before I came. And someone else sent me a clip yesterday that Bugo Haram in North uh, Nigeria have now sworn allegiance with ISIS. See this whole area? That's Syria, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan. Look, Lebanon, Egypt, Turkey, all of them places you're hearing of where ISIS has taken control to try and establish an Islamic caliphate today. And that we showed you two weeks ago on the map right across North Africa at the Battle of Armageddon of the Islamic nations that would rise up. And there already we told you that there's parts of Africa that will come up according to God's word, and within two weeks we're hearing about one of them joining this Islamic caliphate movement. Here's something for you. This is strange, or is it? There's a little horn rises up of the east, and it's the horn that comes out from the goat or from the leopard. You want to see it? Here's the little horn of the east. That's not it. (laughs) This is it. Picture 11, Denise. You know what that is? That's the Mosque of Omar. That's the Dome of the Rock that sits at the Mount of Olives there. That sits on where uh, the, the Islamics, the Islamists believe that Abraham sacrificed Ishmael there, not the Lord, not, not or Abraham uh, sacrificed Ishmael, not went to sacrifice Isaac there. They believe that Gabriel carried Muhammad up there and showed him Moses and showed him all the wonders of heaven and all from there. That's what they believe. That's why this is precious. And this sits on the hill where the Temple Mount is. This is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Here is the horn of the east has risen up. And when you look across the sea and across the, ro- the way, you're going to see towards the west, there's another horn. And the horn is the Vatican. And it's risen up on a hill. The hill of Vaticanus, or the hill 
of divination it means. You'll see that next week. You'll see that next week. So where do we leave you? See the kingdom we spoke of? The stone kingdom, Denise, first chapter, number 12. The stone kingdom here comes and smashes all of this system that's around the world today. This is the coming kingdom of Christ. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Denise, put the last wee picture up. Here he comes. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Does this not prove the Bible is true? And if the Bible's true, then you need to be saved. If the Bible's true, you need to be born again. Because Jesus said it, you must. You must be born again. Thank you for your attention. Time is way flowing.